expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Yeah, we decided to come back. It's episode 101 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast, where I gotta be honest, we're a little upset that we weren't on the Today Show after we turned 100. Not just that, but the whole Smucker's birthday announcements. Like, we didn't get one of those either. No. Jesus Christ, they're slow. No. Didn't get any peanut butter and jelly. Didn't get any just jelly. Nothing. Life has... Thanks, Willard Scott. Thanks, Matt Lauer, for nothing. Life has no more meaning anymore. Like, really. It doesn't. So sad. It's sad. But we press on anyway. and, And... I gotta ask you this: How weird is it to introduce the show and have to say three, like a three-digit number now? It's it's weirder to see it actually. Really? When you go to like our SoundCloud page, yeah, it's weirder to see one hundred on there or one hundred and one. It's it's very strange, but it's also an honor at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And by with that, I think we should introduce ourselves. That's right. I'm James with them alongside the Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia, and dude. Episode 100, huge success. And we really tried to just pull out all the stops for you guys. I mean, we wanted to leave no stone unturned. We wanted to cover as much ground as possible. You know, what we're reading was a little bit special. We had Alex Irvine talking about Deus Ex and Division. Hopefully you get a chance to play the open beta for the Division last weekend. Of course, the book comes out on March the 8th. Make sure you grab that. Then we move on to Marvel Animation Studios and Stephen Wacker and Court Lane to talk about Ultimate Spider-Man versus Sinister Six. And we're getting pretty good feedback on that from this past Sunday. Exactly. And I mean, you know, the, Marvel loved the interview, Stephen and them. Let us know, like, it was cool because we got an email from Marvel and, and uh, we, from well, the person in publicity and they were like, yeah, afterwards, Court stopped by and said how awesome you guys were. And it's like, whoa. When a vice president of an animation studio like Marvel stops by and sa- just to talk about us, that's a big honor. That- that's really amazing. I mean, and we were we were kind of honored as well that B.D. Wong, of course, we talked to about uh, oh, Gotham yeah. and Hugo Strange. I mean, just blew up social media sharing, <laughs> the, sharing the interview. And, I mean, we, we thank him a lot because, I mean, he really took a lot of time, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to just seek it out and just make sure he shared it with everybody. And we appreciate BD for doing that. And I'm telling you right now, this, you might be listening to this on a Friday, which is going to be before the premiere on Monday of Gotham. Don't miss this premiere, oh. this mid season premiere. Do not miss it. Oh, we, we got a screener for it early and it's, it's pretty amazing. We're not going to talk about it all, but it's, it's freaking amazing. Don't DVR it. Don't do that stuff. It's eight o'clock on a Monday. What else have you got to do? Sit down, Watch Gotham. You get Mr. Freeze and Hugo Strange in the same episode. Come on. Come on. Exactly. Going back to Deus Ex for a little bit, I actually watched uh, the other night a video of somebody playing the beta and just all the damage, what it looks like. Literally the most realistic damage ever I've seen. Like when you're shooting a gun at like a car window, it actually breaks the way it would actually break. When you shoot bricks, the bricks actually fall and kind of crack and, and break to the specifications on the type of gun you're using. It's 
friggin' amazing, dude. I mean, the division just looks like one of those games that's going to be an it game once yeah. it hits shelves. I mean, you don't have that much longer to wait. So, I mean, if you didn't get a chance to pre-order, I think you've still got time to pre-order. But I'm sure they're going to have midnight releases all oh, over course. the place. And it just looks like one of those games where it's easy to fall into the trap with some of those games where they kind of all look the same, even though the story's a little different. But this one, legit, even back in E3 when we were talking about it, it just looks different. And, I mean, you can actually turn on your teams and stuff like that as you're going through the cities. I mean, it just looks like a unique concept. And the fact that Ubisoft ties in a book that you almost have to have to be able to beat the game, I think it's really cool and unique as well. And I'm glad that Alex Irvine and I got a chance to talk to us about it. Exactly. Speaking of books, that's going to do it for intro. And come next, we're going back to our old format this week because we have two new comics that we're going to be reviewing this week. What we're reading is come up next on Down and Nerdy. This is writer Alex Irvine, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, and we pull out our long boxes, and we discuss two new comics this week and what we're reading. And I want to let you know that this segment is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards at Aragon Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for your nerd heart and the nerds that you love. So, James, I'm going to go first this week. I went DC this week. And you know how we always say... We want a good Superman comic. We've been asking. We've been begging for it. Yep. Very much so. We're still waiting for it. (laughs) Because my comic this week is part of a new six-part series. Actually, issue one came out this week. It's called Superman, The Coming of Superman, which, I'm sorry, sounds more like a Kryptonian all-male review instead of a title of Superman comic. You know, it's funny. I saw that title this week. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I'm like... This can't be good. Yeah. Because it just didn't... I mean, I see the title, I'm like, that just seems like a throw together. So, I mean, was it like that, or, or is it a little bit different? Well, of course, the story and the art are done by Neil Adams. And let me bef- dive into the, the plot, and I'll dive into what I really didn't like about it. So, the plot, pretty much, against Superman comic. These three Superman come down from we don't know where, and they crash land onto Earth, and apparently they're looking for Superman. Next thing we see is that the parademons come out of this boom tube, and who else comes from outside of the boom tube? Calabac, the dark side sun. Okay. And here's the problem. It's a comic book. It has pictures. I'm not dumb, nor is a lot of people that read comics. We don't need a character to play narrator and explain everything that's going on via a news broadcast. And that's what they did with Lois Lane. And the story is like we don't know where Superman is. We find he's in the Middle East. For whatever reason, we don't understand why. But here's something, again, that I kind of questioned a little bit. He's in the Middle East. There's a rocket that's shot towards his family. Also, out of nowhere, he grabs a bomb shelter and, like, old school slams on top of the family. I'm like, I could be wrong here, but I believe bomb shelters have floors. You just murdered the entire family. Not only that, but how about you go get the missile, Clark? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you do that instead? Yeah, it's like... Bomb shelter here. I'm going to grab this rocket and shoot it up towards space. Yeah. No. And then there's a thing with a kid, and it's like, Oh, there you go again. There we go. Yeah, there we go again. And I'm just reading this, man. I'm just like, this isn't interesting at all. And it's, 
again, the whole narration standpoint where a lot of the, uh, mostly what takes place in Metropolis, like every shot of Metropolis that has Lois Lane Force in there saying, they're doing this, they're doing this. No shit! I'm reading the fucking comic. I know what happens. <laughs> I kind of know what they're doing. It's right there. But it's just... It's 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 really boring. And there's like a big sort of reveal at the end, which isn't really a reveal. And it's just... I don't know. And, and, I'm so, and the sad thing is, the strongest character in this book is Lex Luthor... But I say the sad thing is because he's only in the book for like two panels. You know, it's funny. I, I'm gonna, I don't want to cut you off or anything, but I reviewed uh, Superman American Alien uh, a couple weeks ago on the website downandnerdypodcast.com, which I did like, by the way. I think that that is a good Superman book. So if you're looking for one, that's probably the one that people should be reading. But And it was issue four, and Lex Luthor made his first appearance in that issue as well. And again, I felt the same way, that he was the strongest character in that book, and Max Landis wrote him so well, but he was only in the book for like two pages, and I wanted more. Yeah, like I said, he was only in this one for two panels, and my problem is, is that the books of the book's just uninteresting. I'm reading this, I'm just like, what am I getting out of this? And even at the end, when they say there's like a sort of reveal, but twist at the end, I'm like, eh, it's just there, you know? And yeah, by I'm, then you were probably out because I mean, it just doesn't sound like it was very good. Yeah, no, and, and we you know we talked about this a little bit off air too. Is that you know Neil Adams is mostly known for just being an artist. This is what happens. This is the dark side. Not to use that name as a pun. This- <laughs> it seeped into your pores. Now. <laughs> you can't even help it anymore. God damn it! But this is what happens when you have r- artists who want to carry torch and say, "I want to write now." No. Just stay as an artist. <laughs> I mean, and there's very few instances, and that's not at all to say that artists can't write. But, no, but what I'm saying but, is don't do Superman. Do like a creator own and test it out that way. Right, and yeah, there's very few artists that can make that transition. I mean, we're going to be talking to Jason, Sean Alexander, and Dara Savage about Empty Zone coming up in our main topic. And Jason, Sean Alexander is the writer and the artist. Believe me, that pays off. Scotty Young, what? I hate Fairyland. That pays off, but this doesn't, no, this usually doesn't work very well. Right, but in Sean's case, so Sean's been writing longer. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's done right. both, but Sean writes better. Like, Sean's known for his writing and his art. Adams is just known for his art, and he's just like, I'm going to write now. And like I said, if you wanted to write, that's fine, but don't give him Superman. Yeah. Give him, yeah. like, a lesser-known character or, again, a creator-owned book. But this is... And, and the way that they do this, too, I'll give my rating in a second, but... The way they try to make you go on and read issue two, you know, it's only a six-part series, is really, like, not giving you anything. It's like, there's a mystery, but you got to read issue two, and it's like, I don't give a fuck. That's a gamble. That's a big gamble to do something like that, because you're assuming is, issue one's good enough. And even though it's Neil Adams, the art is good. It's not, like, blowing my brains out good. It's, it's, it's good, but... See, I like Neil Adams, but he was the it guy... In like the 80s and partially yeah. in the 90s as well. And back then, you'd look at Neil Adams' art and go, whoa, you know? But no disrespect to Neil Adams, he's a legend, but there's so many just fantastic artists now that that's a high bar. So unless you're touching the feels of the older generation that are looking at your art and reliving some part of their childhood, it's hard to compete with so many great artists that are out there right now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's not bad, but it's not, like I said, it's not like I open up the page like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's, yeah. it's there. 
Uh, this is this is a drop for me, man, because I I can't even give it a I can't even give it a pickup because I'm not intrigued. Like I said, what's my rule? What's our rule with when it comes to these types of limited series? Yep. You have to grab me by that first issue, or I could give less of a damn about issue two, and that's my case with this. So again, yep. Superman, the coming of the Superman, which again the mail review coming to your local strip club, wherever that may be soon. That is a drop. It's a beat mix version of the Superman theme from the Christopher Reeve days. <laughs> That'll haunt yeah. you. That'll haunt you. Yeah. But speaking of hauntings, I decided to go with an IDW title this week. Actually, it's a character that they're bringing back for good reason, too. It's Winona Earp number 1, which is written by Bo Smith, art by Laura Ennis, colors by Jay Photos, which is kind of ironic, and letters by Robbie Robbins. And the reason I say... That it's timely is because, of course, the Winona Earp series that's adapted from the IDW comic of old going to be coming to sci-fi on April the 1st. So I thought, why not? This is a perfect opportunity to dive into this character and see what's going on. For those who don't know, just a tiny bit of background. Uh, Winona Earp is actually the granddaughter of the legendary lawman Wyatt Earp. Uh-huh. So that gives a little bit of intrigue. And then and the Doc Holliday's relative is also in it. There's an Agent Dolls who's kind of like the cop. If you watch Sleepy Hollow, you've got um, you've got the lieutenant and you've got Ichabod Crane. And they go off on adventures, stuff like that. But the theme of this book, totally different. Definitely way more violent. I mean, just to describe her as a character in this comic, she's a wise-ass. Mm-hmm. She's a smart-ass. She's a renegade She's trying to play by the rules, but really can't. Like, she has the inability to. And, dude, when she finds who she's looking for, one of the lines from the book is, shoot him in the head. You've got to shoot them in the head. It's better that way. (laughs) So, I mean... And, I mean, there's a part in the book where one of the demons that she's looking for, she spits milk in, in its face... And she said the only one was cr- that was crying over it was Debbie and stuff like that. So, <laughs> I mean, it definitely had a lot of humor in it, which I didn't kind of expect. And she's kind of trying to be a U.S. Marshal, not to follow in White Earp's footsteps, but because she feels like that's kind of her calling. And they're looking for, the character they're looking for, the main bad in the series, is called Mars Del Rey. And what's cool is, is that he's like a hybrid chupacabra cannibal kind of guy who runs a cartel. Right. And the cartel, I can give this away because it's not really a spoiler, the cartel deals in trafficked human body parts. Oh. Like internal and external organs that are used to kind of create these hybrid beings kind of thing. So it's actually a very interesting story. And I can't really say too much without giving anything away. So I don't want to dive into the story too much. But let's just say she kind of finds one of the lesser demons, for lack of a better term has a confrontation with them, but she can't get the information out of him because she's a hothead. And that whole play between her and Agent Dolls as the detective really comes into play where it's like, you can't do this. If we're going to catch people, we need to do it the right way. We can't just shoot them in the face kind of thing because so, it doesn't, doesn't get us anywhere. So she's kind of has that like 80s actions, you know, cop action movie, Lieutenant or Sergeant, like, Erp! In my office, in a little bit, and you're, I don't. You're, wa- you're a pistol out there, Erp. You can't be shooting people in the face. I don't want to say this because it's going to sound like I'm overselling it, but I promise I don't really mean it this way. It was like it's like if you took Deadpool, okay, and crammed it with Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> That's really weird, and I believe this is not this is not an insult 
at all. I <laughs> promise, okay? That is not an insult. I actually enjoyed the hell out of this book. I mean, the the art was okay. It's not phenomenal, but I mean, it's kind of what you'd kind of what you'd expect from an indie publisher, where it's like it doesn't distract you. It's not bad, but it's not like jump off the page great either. So I would say it, right. it's kind of fitting. Uh, the action sequences were really good, and they mixed in the humor really well as well. They gave you a nice, intriguing ending, and there's one particular character who I won't spoil, who kind of just pops up just to be a pain in the ass, and is he going to be helpful? Is he not going to be helpful? But, I mean, in reading this comic, I really wanted it to be good because I was looking forward to the new series on sci-fi in April the 1st, and it really was, and I think that this is a pull for me because it's got the action, it's got the humor, it's not corny to the point where it's like trying to be this old school Wyatt Earp shoot him up kind of thing it's they make it really interesting and this is a character that I could see succeeding not just in the comics for a long time because I know she did but in television as well so I think that for IDW and sci-fi they're gonna have a good partnership here and I actually can't wait for us to review the pilot on the show well that's gonna do it for this week's edition of what we're reading but come next we Step into the closet and go back to the 60s. Our review of 11-22-63 is coming next right here on Down Nerdy. Hi, I'm Court Lane, VP of Animation Development at Marvel, and I'm listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, things are kind of back to normal on This Week in Geek Tamman this week, but we are going to head into the closet to the 1960s and talk about the new Hulu series, 11-22-63. Now the question is, is it going to be seven minutes in heaven or an hour and 20 minutes of hell? And is R. Kelly going to be played during it? That is a good point. <laughs> we don't know that yet. Although in the 1960s, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. It was a different time. <laughs> and you see that when you get in there. But we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, I mean, this is a series. I mean, we reviewed the trailer for this. And it's based on the novel by Stephen King. And we're really excited about it. Explore the conspiracy theory of JFK with the time travel aspect. I mean, so let's just dive right into it, shall we? Okay, so of course we're reviewing 112263, which of course deals with the assassination of JFK, as we mentioned before when we reviewed the trailer. Not going to go back into it because we reviewed the trailer in terms of the plot and the story, but you know, James Franco pretty much just plays a teacher who is tasked with the thing of going back in time and stopping JFK from assassinate, being assassinated. But here's the problem, though. I don't think James Franco is a bad actor. I think it's more that the story really just trips over itself and creates different branches and webs that are kind of unnecessary to the point where you don't really care what happens to his character because there's times where he's playing a dick and there's times where he's playing kind of a nice, caring high school teacher who cares about the you know the adults that are he teaches at night, you know, and stuff like that. And it, it's just like, it doesn't, it seems like a character they don't know what to do with. And again, I know this is based off of Stephen King now, so there's not much liberties you can really take with it. But, you know, as someone who hasn't read the book, I know you haven't read it either, James, yeah. but I just felt like this series would be a lot better if it was centered around Chris Cooper's character and not Franco's. And yeah, I, I agree. Franco felt, I felt that Franco, when he's delivering the lines, he just felt awkward. And he, I'm like, he just doesn't look good at all. Yeah, I agree. The role didn't really suit him. I thought it suited Chris Cooper much better. We won't get, we won't go into all the details right. of how the time travel aspect works and stuff like that. Watch the show and you'll because honestly, we don't know how the fuck it happened. I mean that that's part of the problem too. It's like you start to see little holes start to develop. Like, okay, well, if he did this, wouldn't this happen? And if this happened, wouldn't this happen? So to cost- me, there there were some holes there. And and like you said, with James Franco's character. Mm-hmm. 
The only time I really cared about him was when he was taking an interest in that older guy that he was teaching right. in his writing class. But beyond that, even there's a, there's a scene where he's signing divorce papers and then even things that happen to him once he's over there in, in the 1960s and we, once he first crosses through there. And I'm like, if he dies, I'm not sure it matters. I mean, other than the show will be over kind of thing. But right. <laughs> you don't get that. You, I mean, you do get senses of peril at certain points, but it wasn't for him. It was for... The situation that they created, and the, and the problem is, is that you're like, if he wasn't here, would I miss him? Other than the fact that the show would end, I don't right. know. And quickly back to Chris Cooper, real quick, because here's the thing, you know, he's he's I mean, he's on all eight episodes. Chris Cooper is, but he's playing more of a narration point. There's something happens right. with Chris Cooper, and I can spoil it, but it, it, he's the narrator in this, and there's certain things that he does where you're like you're drawn to Chris Cooper because he, Chris Cooper pretty much pushes the narrative, the main story forward. But it seems like what, what seems with Franco, again, that's where you get all the different webs and like, what happens if this does this and wait, he goes, okay, so wait, if he got burned here, but he goes back to this spot and it's two minutes back where he is in the present and everything goes to be reset. Does why does he still have the burns? Why does this happen? You know, with, with Chris Cooper's character, it doesn't make sense. You end up paying more attention to those webs than you do the main story, and the main story isn't really that special because it's like right building I mean, off. Of, I mean, it's building off the whole who shot JFK. Really, it wasn't right. really Oswald, or wasn't the CIA who lured Oswald to shoot him. That's one thing, but really, and now there's a thing of like going back to the old guy that Franco helps in the beginning. Is he going to change the past and is he going to mess with the timeline? The one thing I will say that about this, though, that was a good thing is I did like how when Frank went back into 1960, you know, Cooper says, you know, his, his Cooper's character is Al Templeton. When Al tells James Franco's character, Jake, hey, here's what you got to do. You go to 1960, get yourself a beater car. Something's not going to stick out. What happens? James Franco goes and buys like a Chevy that's like beautiful, like a Monte yeah, Carlo or whatever. convertible, by convertible. the way. Uh, you know, of course, get your hair done in a suit because that's what men wore in the '60s, and that's how they had their hair done in the '60s. Uh, when it goes, you know, how do you, how did I survive for those three years? Which is, you know, again, three years in the '60s through this time portal is two minutes in the present. How did I, how did he survive all those years? Oh, well, I gambled. So he's like, so, okay, so go to this place, put a small wager. What does Franco do? He puts a hundred dollars on a boxing match. Now, people might think a hundred dollars isn't a lot, but remember, it's 1960. A hundred dollars back then is like 600 to to $1,000 bet. I mean, it then. was just... Yeah. And nobody did that. And you get frustrated that, how stupid he is at times, and, and you get that that's going to be part of it, but right. it, was too, it was too much of a part of it in the first episode, I think. And then you start to get into the meat of it where, okay, he's trying to get into the whole, you know, follow this guy and find out if this guy does this to get to the whole plot of who killed JFK. But by that point, I mean, you're kind of... You're, you're, you're almost tuned out. And I think part of the problem with, that they had was is that this was a passion project for Chris Cooper's character. It was not a passion project for James Franco's character. And right. if these guys, had, and they talk about how long they'd known each other, yada, yada, yada. And they teamed them up, it'd been better, I thought. Yeah, and the problem was is that when, when what happens happens to Chris Cooper's character, you would think that, you know, it's almost like Coulson getting stabbed in the Avengers and the team rallies around, like, all right, this was his passion, now it's ours. Chris, Co I mean, James Franco does not take up that mantle, and I think that's the failing of this more than anything else. He's, it's clearly not a passionate thing for him, and I think that if it, if it would have been displayed like that more from him like it was with Chris Cooper, 
I think this would have come off better, even it's, with the mistakes and everything. Exactly. I mean, there's other characters as well, but none of them are really major really to talk about. I mean, of course, you have Josh Jamel in there, but again, he plays the father to somebody from Franco's Franco knows in the present. But it's just like when yeah. you see when I'm reading on the IMDb right now, Josh Jamel eight episodes. Like, are they really gonna drag out this whole thing with Dumel and the whole father angle with this one other character? Are they really gonna drag? And it's just like I. And watching the first episode, I'm like, it's just not engaging at all. I couldn't really get into it at all. And it's just, it was just boring, man. I'm like, had Chris Cooper been the mainstay? And you know, and I said this when we were watching this. I said, you know who would have been great to, instead of James Franco to play Jake Epping? Is the guy who plays Agent Ward on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Red Dalton, like, yeah. Red, Red Dalton, Dalton yeah. He feels like he would have been a much better fit because friend Franco's delivering his lines he f- gives him out, and I'm not saying he doesn't care about the project, but he gives him out like somebody who's just there. Yeah, and it's and don't mistake. It's not like but we again, don't like James Franco. No, but it's just one of the things where, again, it's confusing because you don't know. It's confusing because you don't know, is he? Is it because he's not a great actor, or is it because the writing is just not that great? And you well, can't really pinpoint what it is. I think part of the problem is that even though he may be a good actor, was he the right person for this part? Right, and I think that's that's what's kind of driving your point is that it's not you don't know whether or not he's a good actor, but I think more so than anything, this just wasn't a part that he probably should have played. So I don't know if it was the you know let's get a name and put him in there, and I think or maybe Chris Cooper was just so good that you you get frustrated with how not good James Franco is, and you get that this is a mini series. But again, remember Agent Carter was also labeled as a mini series, and it got a second season. So right. Eight episodes, like, are you, remember, he's got to be in the 60s for three years, so it's like, right. are you really going to drag this out until 1963? Like, are you really going to drag this out for X amount of seasons? I know it's a Hulu original, so maybe there's more leniency when it comes to greenlighting shows and giving shows extra seasons, but this just was, it was too confusing. I couldn't get into the characters. I think it would have been better had they done a little bit differently, but again, you have source material, which is Stephen King, so you can't take a really a whole lot of liberties with it, if any at all. So, you know, it's just one of those things. I know where people that say stick to the source material, but it's just tough. It's very tough because, I mean, and, and that's the other problem, too, is when you've got a guy like Stephen King whose name is attached to this, do you want to deviate too much? Because there's a lot of rabid Stephen King fans that are going to be upset. Now, the book itself is 849 pages. So I'm guessing that they've got content if they want to move on and drag this out several seasons. But again, that's also a gamble, too. Let's say you plan out, okay, by season three or season four, we'll be done. So we'll go that long. What if season one fails? Then you're at like a quarter of the way through the book. So what do you do? So it's it's almost like, a, what do you do? Do you rush through it and get done with it in eight episodes? Or do you drag it out knowing you'll have future seasons? It's it's not. There's no easy answer there for me. Exactly. Like I said, I, I, it's important to say close to the source material but when the show is painting the source, because we haven't read the books, we don't know. But the thing is, when the show paints the source material as very bland and confusing, you think of the book as very bland and confusing, like you know, and 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 that's what I think. So I think we've talked about this enough. I think it's time for us to give our ratings. I'm going to go first, and seeing how this deals with JFK and everything else uh, in the 1960s, I'm giving this. Four Boston accents out of ten. Okay, I'm going to go. 
Ah, see, it's tough. I, I might go maybe a smidge higher than that. So I'm going to go five uh, time traveling closets out of ten, only because I, I do like the whole who shot JFK angle, and maybe we're going right. to see a little bit more. It's almost like you're going to get to see the conspiracy theory play out, or maybe they'll just go straight with, you know, what is you know, the, the original theory out there. You, you don't know that either unless you've read the book, of course. So I like that maybe we'll get a little bit more in depth into that, but I don't know, man. I just don't know if I can continue with this. It's, it's, and it's sad because I was psyched for it, but maybe the second episode gets better. I don't know, but an hour and 20 minutes for the premiere, I think was too long. Exactly. The premiere is too long. And I mean, the second episode's up, but again, the, when it's eight episodes, you have that first episode to really grab me. And it's kind of like what comics with a four-part series. You better grab me by that first issue. And that's going to do it for our review of 11-22-63. We didn't really think that highly of it. But coming up next, we do have some nerd news stories we think highly of. And those are coming up next here on Down Nerdy. This is Steven Wacker with Marvel Animation. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, where we go around the interwebs and discuss our rebirth because right now it's time for Nerd, Nerd News. News. Way to be late there, asshole. Oh, I did it as a round. <laughs> and our first story, of course, deals with DC's rebirth. And I give the floor to none other than our DC worshiper himself, Mr. James Witham. Okay, well, the details as they stand right now is that DC has announced their plans for Rebirth, which you can say what you want, fellas, it's a reboot. And basically it's going to start on May the 25th with a special 80-page, yes, 80-page issue called DC Universe Rebirth Number 1. And there's a slew of new titles. Some of them are going to be twice monthly. They're going to stick to a $2.99 price point for all books, but again... Some of those books are going to be twice monthly. We're not going to go over the whole list. We'll talk about a couple that stand out here. But, again, I'm known as the DC worshiper on the show. And it's hard for me to not stick up for DC sometimes. And that's not what I'm going to do here. Here's what I'm going to say. Is that the whole reboot thing is getting old. I understand that the January sales, we did that story, they weren't good. So, part of me wants to say, I don't really blame them here because of how bad the sales are and what do you want them to do. But the other part of me says, well, if the stories overall were better, this wouldn't be necessary in the first place. You just change a few titles and be done with it. Here's what I think DC should start paying attention to. And I thought about this a lot when I found out about this and what we were doing with this story. And I, First of all, I'm going to say I was wrong about the whole Hanna-Barbera thing being the rebirth, so I will own that. I was wrong. This is an actual rebirth that's actually happening. What... DC is missing is the point to this whole thing. Think about Batman Eternal. How great that was. Nick and I both really enjoyed Batman Eternal. What did they do after Batman Eternal was over? They stopped. I know they continued it partially in the main Batman run. I got that. They picked up kind of where they left off a little bit. Not quite the same way you would think. And then what happened? They waited a certain period of time and gave us Batman and Robin Eternal. That created a want for the fans. So for anybody that says, you can't just take a character like Batman and shelve him for a few months and then come back and give us a new Batman story. Batman Eternal says you're wrong. Okay? And this goes for any character. You're not leaving anybody wanting more. You're stretching out stale storylines 
for the reason of just trying to keep the line going when maybe you should have done this issues ago, but you didn't want to do it right up against when Marvel was doing it and getting criticized for it. So I really hope that there's a lesson learned here and that they can start learning from their mistakes so this doesn't happen and we're not doing the same story a year from now. And here's the problem I have with, with this too is that I would look at the list right now and it's just you have and we're going to get into this in our next story but you have rebirth titles and then separate titles. Like you have for example yeah. like like Green Lantern's Rebirth or whatever. But then you have Green Lanterns. What what the fuck is it? Wait, are are you telling me we're having two separate Green Lantern books? One just happens to be a rebirth? Or what the hell's going well, on here? I'm really hoping that the rebirth issues are one-shots, like when they launched the New 52 and had all those zero issues because they were rebooting the lot. Again, you can't say it's not a reboot if you're going to have a rebirth one-shot before the regular line starts. So I'm kind of hoping that that's what that is and there aren't two separate titles because that wouldn't make any sense. Right, and I understand that you know you go back to our previous episodes where we talked about you know, the whole rebirth thing. We said, okay, this might be a good idea for them given what happened in January. But again, now you look at it and you're like, I'm looking at the list and you're like, I'm like, you're just, I, I really, really want to finish out the current runs I have, but now I'm really close to just going to Fantasy Escape and sadly saying, you know what, they're doing this whole rebirth thing, I want to cancel all these runs until these new ones come out. Actually, that might be what I do. Not for everything, but for a lot of stuff that's on the... Fr- and there's some stuff that's that's going to be ending, obviously, like Dr. Fate's not on this list, which, I mean, that's not a huge surprise, but you know what I'm saying. There's certain things that weren't limited runs that you can see are going to be over, so it's like, okay... If I'm not really that invested in it, then why would I keep reading it? Exactly. And again, it's just stop with the reboots. Like, I understand Convergence. Now that I look at it, really wasn't much of a reboot. It was more, it was more changing it the main. It was a main arc. That's all it was. It was a coming, it was, it was a major storyline that they were doing, and the only thing they really changed was they went back to the pre-Flashpoint. They br- they brought back the pre-Flashpoint Superman universe in one book, because there's 60 Superman books. And then you look at this list, and you've got Superman, and they've got the Superman. And I'm like, guys, stop it! <laughs> yeah. Get one Superman book right first, and then maybe we can start telling other stories. Because I mean. Batman's been good, and then you get Detective Comics, which was also good beside the regular Batman run. You had, so you can't do that if you haven't gotten the re- regular one right yet. But then again, you like look at Batman. You had the Bat- Batman, the regular run, and then you had Batman Eternal. Then you had Batman sixty six and Detective Comics. You know, and then the list goes on and on. You yeah. know, and and it's just like. It's an overabundance of a good thing, and it causes people to get sick of it. Right. And with that, let's move on to our next story, which actually deals with stuff like that. Now, of course, there's a big comic expo. All the big publishers get together every year for it. And Image, the pu- main head publisher for Image, got on stage and pretty much lambasted everybody in the comic books, the publishers, the retailers, everything. And there's a... Uh, it was a big his whole speech is online but the main quote and part he says I want to read this right now in its entirety quote we worry too much about what we don't have instead of focusing on what we've got 
and we keep marketing the fear of missing out as excitement. So we've gone back to gimmicks, to variant covers and relaunches and reboots, and more of the same old stunts disguised as events, when really all our readers want are good stories. We're giving them great jumping on points over and over again, but it's becoming so commonplace, our audience instead sees them as opportunities to cut and run. We are misinterpreting sales spikes for long-term success, and worst of all, we are spending so much time looking at how people keep going that we've lost sight of where we're heading in the first place. And I say we, I speak not just for publishers or of the retailers, but creators as well. We are sadly all at fault. And I want to take just one very tiny part of that that I think is the biggest part where he said the fear of missing. Yeah. Because you know what, guys? That's not there anymore. No. And that is where both Marvel and DC's larger publishers are missing the boat. And I think that this was largely aimed at Marvel and DC. Now, to play devil's advocate, and I don't totally agree with this point, but I think it needs to be brought up. I think it's a little more difficult to do something like that when you have such massively established characters like Superman, like Batman, like Spider-Man, like Wolverine, stuff like that. I realize that it's tough to shelf characters like that. It's tough to just say, you know what, Bats, we're going to put you over here for a few months. We're going to retool. We'll come back with another story when the fans really want it. Because look what Marvel's successfully capitalized on with all of their reboots that they've done recently, especially with movies coming out. They'll kill a character, not really, but they'll kill a character, and then when their movie's coming out, they'll relaunch a new number one, and everybody's excited again. But it doesn't last. So there again, it's your fear of missing that you're trying to capitalize on. And instead of having long-term success, like Image is talking about, you have very short-term success. And I think a problem, and I want to kind of highlight something else he said, too, when he talked about variant covers. Like, here's the thing, and he talked about how, I'm kind of uh, not going word for word here, but what he pretty much said was, retailers, stop you know ordering all these different variant covers because... You're only getting short spikes in sales and right. quick spikes. He's like, you're not settling for long term. And he said, uh, and he even told the publishers, he said, listen, he's like, stop with all the variant covers. He goes, because yeah. he goes, nobody really cares about them anymore. Well, and they're so hard to get to. That's part of the problem. And they're that, expensive as shit. Not only that, but think about this for just a second. If people don't really know how the industry works, most of the time, for retailers to even get variant covers, you have to order a certain amount of a certain book, like 25 copies or 50 copies or whatever, just to get a couple of variant covers. So there's your reason why they're expensive right there. And some of them are limited. Some of them are numbered. I get that. But not all of them are even that good. Some of them, you, I see some variant covers. I'm like, wow, that's an awesome cover. I want that. But do I want to spend 10 times the cover right. price of the book to get it? Probably not. It's like, do I want to spend $60 on a $4 book? You know, just because right. the cover, just not because the story's different or right. it's a thicker volume or issue, just because the cover is done by somebody else. And, and that's not cool. always the case, but sometimes it is. And it's frustrating for us that are not just readers, but those of us who are collectors as well. I mean, especially if you have a favorite artist, try getting a Jim Lee variant cover. See how that works out for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, just really quickly, it's just, 
enough with the continued reboots. I know we say in the show, you know, I'm done with Marvel, I'm done with DC or whatever. But the truth is, it's like we're not really done with the companies. We're more done with just guys. Stop rebooting shit because it's just they're taking the wrong risk. Well, yeah, that's and the problem. Like, and it's like let us enjoy an arc. Like for example, like Detective Comics is like what nine hundred plus issues or eight hundred plus issues in. Yeah, they're now. going back to the old numbering. Yeah. yeah. Why can't we kind of have that for a Superman or a Batman or a Deadpool or whomever? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, you keep hitting the reset button and you get further and further away instead from something of, like that. What I'm saying is, like, instead of rebooting, like, say, okay, just, I'll just use Deadpool real quick because, you know, he's the first thing that comes to my mind. Say, for instance, you know, Dugan gets 30, 40 issues in or whatever and he ends up leaving and does something else. Continue with another writer. Go at forty-one. Kind of do what Marvel did with the Finch run. They took over for I can't forget who they took over for, but do that and like okay, you get thirty issues here. This person gets thirty. So every thirty, forty, or whatever, get a new writer in there. I think it was Azzarello that they took over. For. Yeah, but uh, that, that's your point. You can. They're taking instead of taking the risk of well, we got to reboot. We know it's going to be a risk. Well, let's go ahead and reboot the the similar risk. It's almost the same risk to say you know what. Let's put Wonder Woman over here for three months, and we'll yeah. come back to it. But we'll pick up right where we left off. You can do that. Image does that all the time. Matter of fact, Empty Zone, which we're getting ready to talk about with uh, Jason, Sean Alexander, and Dara Savage coming up next, is that they shelved it. Yeah. They, tra- they waited for the trade to come out, and now issue six is going to be coming out on March the 16th. They took it away. I realized that... I know Empty Zone is not Deadpool, okay? So don't try and comment on this and kill me for it. It's not the same thing. But you could still take that risk, okay? It's doable. And what happens when we read Empty Zone? We couldn't put it down. Right. And then when we got to the end, we're like, damn it. We want more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? And speaking of wanting more, something we want more of, James, of course, is Marvel on Netflix. And it happened. It really happened. They cast... Iron Fist, finally, so all you naysayers can go shut up. (laughs) And basically, the name that they got is from Game of Thrones, and it's Finn Jones, who I think is a really good choice, actually. Okay, I want to say this, first of all, since we're we're getting into this territory, there's no way you can not talk about it. People who say that he should be an Asian character and point out Marvel's lack of diversity or Asian diversity in their own MCU, and we're counting the shows as well, stop. Stop. Read a comic. Iron F- And read Iron Fist Origins. Iron Fist was created at a time when Bruce Lee was huge, and they created him, Marvel did, because they wanted to kind of find a way, use a way to kind of not only bounce off of Bruce Lee's fame and that whole kung fu genre that was big at the time, but also kind of do the opposite of that in terms of making the character a white, blue-eyed, blonde character. From New York. From New York. By the way. <laughs> named Danny Rand. And so I was like, listen, here's the thing. If they made him Asian, I'm sorry, but you get a lot more people pissed because they're like, oh, so because he knows Kung Fu, he has to be Asian. Like, I have a bigger problem with that. Like, that's stereotyping. I have a problem Yeah, I mean, can we just stop with all this stuff? I mean, can we really just stop? Like you said, 
Why is it so bad? And, Why is it so terrible to go for the right person and, for the job? And what people are forgetting is Marvel even came out and said they were looking for an Asian actor to play him. But guess what? They couldn't find somebody probably good and enough to play And that's okay. That's fine. Okay? It's all right. Yeah, I mean, is it really diverse if it's forced diversity? No, it's not. And it's not even, And you're not even forcing the right thing. He's not Asian in the comics. So why would you force it? It does. I don't get it. And this goes for a lot of things. And not just this genre, but in Hollywood in general. You don't have to force it. To me, there's more pride in getting the right person right. for the job. And it goes the opposite way, too, okay? Like, if they cast an Asian guy to play Batman, you know how pissed people would be? Very. But if the dude just comes out and kills it? Right. Do you care? I don't care. I'm dead serious. It's the right person for the right role. And my thing is, is that, again, it's the right person for the right role. And and that's all that should matter. It shouldn't matter what their race is, if they're white, black, Asian, whatever, Spanish. It shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. At all. Like, but to people out there, they think it does, and it really doesn't. And, the only way that race should really matter to a character is if it changes the entire complexity of a show right, or right. a movie or a, a comic. If, if, for example, the like, reason why – I'm going to go back to this because I have to. The reason why I talked about I didn't like Idris Elba being cast as the Dark Tower is because there was a character in the book who – one of her big things about this certain character is that she does not – like white people right. and that plays a major arc in the book and that's why i didn't like it because now what are they gonna do with it you know what i'm saying like like what are they gonna do are they well, gonna i mean you make turn it, it around and that, and to me that's lazy and it's lazy and that's why I don't, i'm not saying he's not a, ba- a bad actor i love idris alba he's amazing he's, but, he's awesome but i want him for bond yes but the dark tower is something that you, you know, you got to follow the source material, man, to a T on that. And, and you know what? You're damned if you do. You're don't, damned if you don't at this point in this society, man. You either follow the, follow the source material and you'll, you'll get people that are pissed off that you didn't, you know, go more diverse. Or you go more diverse and you get people that are pissed off that you didn't follow the source material. That's just kind of what we're, where we're at right now, and it's unfortunate. I, I, we don't know that he's going to do a good job. If you want to, if the, if he ends up not being good, and you want to revisit this later on down the line, fine. I've got no problem with that. But yeah. if he kills it, shut your mouth. Right. And so far, from what we see from Marvel, especially with their TV and even with their movies, every time I've cast somebody, they've nailed it on Netflix. Anyway, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see John Bernthal's Punisher. I think and, that's going to be amazing. And, and really quickly, though, to people who say you know the lack of, of Asian you know diversity on Marvel's projects is lacking, look at. Daisy on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., look at Melinda May, look at uh, you know one of the people from the Warriors 3, I can't think of his name, but somebody from the Warriors 3 is Asian. I mean, that's uh, a perfect example right there. You know, uh, uh, Daredevil's taking on the Yakuza in this next season of Daredevil. You know, Peter Shinkoda. Peter Shinkoda, hello. hello. <laughs> you know, don't say Marvel doesn't care about diversity when they have literally, they, you know, they took Idris Elba and made him Heimdall. You can't yep. say that Marvel doesn't care about diversity. Yep. When they took Idris Elba and made him Heimdall. The Ancient One is a woman yes. in Doctor Strange. Yes. Come on. A <laughs> British woman. Yes. Come on. But moving on to our next story, which also deals with casting, but with DC. 
deals with Powerless, which of course is that new comedy series we were talking about months ago, James. And they casted four people. They got they pretty did a really good job with this. They got Christina Kirk, Alan Tudyk, Danny Pudi, and Vanessa Hudgens. You know, it's funny because I think that actually Alan Tudyk is a big get for them. Oh, yeah. Just how much he's into nerd culture and him and Nathan well, Fillion and Danny doing Pudding con men and stuff too. like that. Oh, yeah. They're they're all really good. It's just you don't really know them as well as you would know other. I mean, probably Vanessa Hudgens a little bit more, especially if you've got kids at home. But I want to touch on something really quick because remember when there was this whole fan casting and people were saying, oh, Nathan Fillion should be Booster Gold and Alan Tudyk should be Blue Beetle. And remember they said there's going to be a recognizable hero in Powerless. They might actually have gotten Alan Tudyk for Blue Beetle. I know. And going back to Rebirth for a second, there's a Blue Beetle number one in the Rebirth titles. Yeah. It's all just kind of making sense and falling into place now. So this could actually happen. Yeah, and I, and I would be all for it. <laughs> yeah, do it. Why not? It's it's a good choice. Because I mean, I don't. I never read. You'd be more affiliate, know more about Blue Beetle than I would. He doesn't really have any powers, does he? I mean, not really. I mean, not not like your traditional superhero. I mean, he's got that that suit that's pretty badass. But I mean, beyond that, not a whole lot. No. Okay, because like I said, I'm not like I'm not, I'm not like he can't like do anything really special. Like like. Well, what? I can't say that I'm a, I'm a savant on well, the character I mean, either. I, but well, you know. I mean, what I mean is he's not like a Superman where he can fly and he like just you know just do it or shoot lasers out of his eyes or anything like that. Really, you know. Well, I mean, he got his powers from a vitamin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's part of it right there. I mean, it kind of ties into to Cord Industries a little bit. But that's more like the modern Blue Beetle and stuff like right. that, but. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's it, this is a good. Oh yeah, this is a good get. I mean, the costumes bulletproof and stuff like that, and he's got super. It's it's tied to the suit. Let's just say well, that. Much moving right on now. to the show itself, and I'm I think this is a good move for DC. This is actually a very good move for DC because what's the big complaint that we're both hearing from nerds and geeks alike, whether you're fans of Marvel, or DC, whatever? DC Cinematic Universe is too dark. They need to be lighter. Now they can be lighter. Like, this is, like, their lighter show. Granted, we haven't watched it yet. Granted, they're still doing casting for it. But you look at, like, shows like Flash and Arrow and even the, the DCU now, and it's going to be darker, and it is darker. Yeah, they got some light now. And the point is, is that this is a this is a push outside the realm because this is a comedy series, okay? So this is definitely going to be a little bit different than what we're used to with comic book shows, and I'm, I'm kind of worried that, you know, and I know Marvel's got a comedy series coming up as well, that it'll be judged differently, and it'll be judged a little bit too harshly because it's supposed to be a comedy series, but I really can't wait for this because I think it's going to be a nice break from what we've been getting. Not that what we've been getting has been bad, but it's a way to kind of give us a little bit of a break, but still give us the comic book culture at the same time. And that's going to do it for Nerd News, but come up next, we're going to be sitting down with writer, creator, and artist of Empty Zone, Jason Sean Alexander, of course, story editor and writer for Issue 6, Dara Savage, so stay tuned. More coming up next on Down Nerdy. Hey, this is B.B. Wong from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you know when we're talking Image Comics, it's going to be something big, and it's going to be something unique, and we're really looking forward to the second volume of Empty Zone to actually start Issue 6. It's going to be available March 16th at your local shops and digitally. We actually have the creator, writer, artist, Jason Sean Alexander, and editor, and now co-writer, Dara Savage, with us this week. How you doing, guys? Oh, good. Great. Thank you for having us. So what's you guys' uh, week been like so far leading up to this? 
I just came back from uh, the Long Beach uh, Comic Expo, and um, so it's been that's been two days of just crazy comic book stuff. So now I'm kind of settling back into the 24 hours a day of MT's own work. <laughs> yeah, it really does look like that would be it because I mean, guys, when we read this series, I mean, for me. The intensity of this story was like running a marathon at a sprinter's pace. So just talk about how you came up with the concept for this book. This thing, I, I originally created this um, last year was its 20th anniversary from its initial creation and, and when I was self-publishing. I was just obsessed with William Gibson and I wanted to do Neuromancer as a comic. And I wanted to have a, a basically at, at that point at 19, I just really wanted to draw a sexy girl as the lead. And then as... Uh, I progressed with, with writing more and more short stories. Uh, she started, I started wanting to actually make her a character and give her some depth. Then Serious Entertainment uh, picked Empty Zone up for its first miniseries, I think around 1998. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, then this kind of backstory started forming with this character. And then over the course of the, a couple of miniseries, I was mostly just wanting to draw and write comics. And uh, all of a sudden, it started becoming more personal. It started becoming more of a, uh, I don't know, I, she, be, she started becoming me. Like, I started putting my own attributes in, into the character and uh, really started becoming uh, infatuated with this world and, and, and her and, and just the darkness of it and the, and the, the grit of it. And um, so I, it felt like every time I got to do a miniseries of her, I was really just being selfish. I was, I was happy people were interested in it, but I think I was really, it was like a large sketchbook. I was just molding this world. And then, uh, then we had, I had a fallout with the publisher and then cut to basically 10 to 15 years later, everything kind of gets fixed with the publisher. And all of a sudden I see all of this raw material for a really fascinating world. And then they started adding the ghost elements to it. And then, it, you know, then for me, it just kind of became more of a Blade Runner meets Hellboy kind of a thing. I just, I, I fell in love with it. And so the first volume is so dense because it has, you know, probably 20 years of, of forming this world. And uh, luckily then uh, Dara came along and really helped me start massaging it and ironing it out and, and, and making it smoother and, and, and way more fluid. And, uh, and now that he's on as, as co-writer with this next volume, it's just, uh, the pace is much faster. And, it, and I, I think the second volume is, is like a really, it, it becomes a little bit more fun. It's definitely scarier and darker, but it flows faster and it's got a really, it, it, it kicks ass. I can't imagine faster, honestly. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's great though. <laughs> So a method that we're seeing a lot of creators and innovators use now, guys, is, is Kickstarter. Is, of course, there's questions for both of you. Uh, when you started, you guys had a set of goal of $20,000, and as of right now, you have over 500 backers, and you have surpassed your goal with a current total of over 34000 What does this say about the nerd and comic community as a whole to you guys? I was thrilled. I, um, I kind of, uh, I mean, over, when you work in comics for 20 years, you kind of start meeting people, and you know, and I know so many amazing professionals and, and writers and artists and, um, you know, and I just developed these relationships. And so once that Kickstarter started, it was kind of like 
taking that opportunity to kind of call in favors. And so it just, the, the level of, of artists and writers that normally don't even uh, promote other people's Kickstarters, like, uh, you know, Sienkiewicz and Mike Mignola, like they all promoted this thing. And it was just, it, it felt like so much love. Like it, you know, 20 years, like it was, uh, you know, I had, you know, I had real support and fans from the old series jumped on people were genuinely interested in what the hell this book was because as, as, as Dara kept really propping me up, he's like, there's just not another book out there like this. But he, he was, yeah. he was very, he very pushed me to really let me know that this was a unique book. And I was just thrilled from all the support for Kickstarter. Yeah. And I mean, if, if I can toot Jason's on a little bit too, I think, uh, you know, that, that he's drawing, it makes it a unique book because there's really not too many people out there who are doing the kind of art he does. No doubt. And, uh, you know, with, with real pens and inks and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just amazing as a matter of fact. Now, when you first meet Corinne, you kind of really feel for her. And when you find out kind of towards the end of the first volume, what she did to her friends, it would be easy to hate her. But I mean, as I was reading it, I really couldn't do that, but did either of you feel like it was kind of a risk to have that kind of reveal for your main protagonist in this book? Well, I think that's something that we felt we definitely had to handle right. You know, you you, you, ha- you had to be able to stay close to her despite her having done a terrible thing. And, um, you know, if you, if you felt that way about it, then we did it successfully. But I think it's something we definitely um, felt like we had to handle it in a good way in order not to alienate people from the character. I, I love the level of depth that like the, the characters not other than just the story and moving things along, the characterizations are incredibly important. And so you don't get this anti-hero feeling about Corinne. At least I hope you don't. And, and when you realize the things that she's done, you also see the fact that her life has been shattered because of it. Like mm-hmm. she, she just, she doesn't really want to go on. She's just going on until something kills her. And, uh, and then all of a sudden there's an actual chance that she never thought she would have of any kind of redemption. And, um, so yeah, you, you see a character that's made mistakes, but has, is genuinely paying for it and, and is hurt by it. And, um, it just feels like there's a lot of characters that, you know, they have their dark past and then they move on. But, um, yeah, big fans of, uh, personal demons and then be the one. We're talking to, to creator, writer, and artist of Empty Zone from Image Comics, Jason Sean Alexander, story editor and co-writer of Empty Zone Issue 6, Dara Savage. So, Dara, Issue 6, your co-writing, man. What are some of your inspirations going forward? Well, uh, you know, I would like to take advantage of the fact that I'm writing a comic book in particular, um, which is to say um, I, I want to be able to write issues that proceed in a way that isn't a, a version of a movie or a version of a book, but that really takes advantage of the medium. You know, one a really big touchstone for me in uh, comics was uh, this is probably a classic one for a lot of people, but uh, the story "Fearful Symmetry" and Watchmen by Alan Moore, um, where the panels all sync up so that the first and last pages have the same number of panels and so on, proceeding against each other. I remember reading that and thinking, wow, you could only do that in a comic. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, an empty zone will do something that's a really good comic book story in particular. Oh, we could definitely see that. As a matter of fact, in issue five, you want to talk about the uniqueness and how there's just not another book like this out there. We're introduced, I mean, even though it was briefly to a group called the Ferals. Now, coming into volume two and in issue six coming up, are we going to be introduced to any other kind of groups like that that might be a little bit unique and off the cuff? Issue six, uh, volume two, 
basically introduces you to a whole different kind of monster and group. <laughs> like I can't, I don't want to give too much of it away, but it's as you see in issue six, like where the the first series dealt with these ghosts and these reanimated kind of zombie characters, and uh, and then yeah, we 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 show a little bit of the fact that gangland in America is a vastly different world now. Instead of mm-hmm. you know tattoos and colors, there's animal implants, and 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 it's just way more frightening to see an eight foot gorilla man as opposed to just a thug with some tattoos on his face. So it just shows the difference in the age or, or in the in the time that we're we're portraying. But the uh, yeah, the second volume also does that shows a, a whole different evolution of a specific kind of character. And uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be really fascinating, but I think on the, especially in this volume, we're hoping to just be scary as hell. Yeah. Jason, the art in the book is phenomenal. I want to off said the art is just strictly phenomenal, dude. I, I enjoyed it. Cover to cover is great. And from an aesthetic standpoint, what was some of your goals you had and continue to have to make this world stand out from so many future sci-fi worlds we've seen and cities like we've seen, like with Blade Runner, for example, and even with Watchmen, if you want to go that way. I think one of the main goals was just to show, and it's what I get to do with this book, uh, because the story allows it to be pretty limitless, is uh, I just wanted to go balls out. I mean, everything that I absolutely love about every one of, like, I wanted a little bit of Dark City, a little bit of Blade Runner, a little bit of Transmet, like like everything that I love gets put into this. And then hopefully, you know, my my visual sensibilities iron it out to be a cohesive world. But yeah, it's, you know, it is that dystopian future, but I, yeah, in, in a slightly different way. Like the biggest thing visually for Empty Zone is that uh, I didn't realize what your art would do when it is your property. And, um, and I like where it's, it's pushed me. I mean, is it good to be able to work for a company or work with a company like image comics that kind of lets you stretch that a little bit and kind of let you do what you want to do and create the passion project that you want to create? Yeah. I think that's the biggest draw with, with, uh, image again is, is there's so many creators that are writers and artists that are doing so much work for hire and, you know, not to, poop on other you know companies but like once you're doing the the fifth title you know of a of a ongoing character you know it's just there's so many you know there's so many chefs in the kitchen and an image has just exploded again with you know these creators coming over to do their own thing and uh and it's because it is kind of a hands-off thing and uh yeah it, it's image is, is is a fantastic uh venue for really just kind of uh letting yourself cut loose. And guys, throughout the series, going back to the comic, Corinne has so many badass moments, and it's so awesome to see what she does in the book. But what I think her most badass moment came was at the end of issue five, which of course, in the, if you got volume one, it's the epilogue, with her encounter and discussion with Mr. Masol and Mr. Oni in the car. Without spoiling anything, what kind of developments will we see in her pursuit of Oni as the series progresses? Dara? <laughs> well, that, 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 that will that will certainly continue to be a major theme. Um, Oni will be interlaced into the next arc, and you'll certainly see some big developments on that front in the third arc. Um, you know, we might well see uh, where Oni comes from. I think I can say without it, without giving away too much. Well, that'd be interesting to kind of get an origin there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Certainly, 
we, we plan to continue that, you know, that conflict as part of the main driver of the comic book. And, and I quickly want to say something about uh, Basalt. When I was reading the comic for the, you know, it was my first time reading the series, and it was it's a great series. When I saw when I first saw him, I'm like, okay, is it like a guy with a beard? And then you know, I'm like, no, he has squid implants, and that's weird, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> I, I showed my um, uh, me and a few comic book guys in LA always are sharing images with each other, so I right. sent a few images to my my buddy Dave Croslin and, and Jim Mafood. And they're like, is this tentacles? I was like, yes, we even have guys with tentacle faces. This book has everything. <laughs> it really does have everything. As a matter of fact, there's one character we haven't even talked about yet, and that's Hank. And I kind of felt like when we when I was reading the series that Hank's like the ultimate badass wingman for Corinne. So if you guys could pick one wingman from the world of science fiction or comics, who would it be? Oh man, Dara, that's <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to go uh, classic and say Molly Millions. Nice, nice, nice. Now you got to one up him, Jason. Oh Jesus! <laughs> that's not, that's not, like that was the perfect answer. Like I'm, I'm genuinely like here to pat myself on the back, but I'm just kind of obsessed with Hank. I think he's like. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 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 fun as, he's fun as hell and he's, he completely doesn't even belong in this world it's okay Jason we're right there with you <laughs> <laughs> Molly Millie dude not fair uh, <laughs> don't yeah, you I mean, hate one, that one when somebody steals reason. your answer you know, one of the reasons it's been so much fun working with Jason is that you know as we've worked together we've discovered we have very 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 similar kind of background tastes in science fiction and so on so that generally the kind of idea that one of us will think is cool the other one will also think is cool and you know um, so that's that's been worked out very well yeah there is awesome for that like it's it's uh, I've, I've I've had off experiences in the past and things like that but um, yeah, I'm I'm really thankful. Like we just it, when we sit in the the room together and and start just writing and and throwing out ideas, like it just works. Okay, so here's a couple of questions before we let you guys go. First question is, and and we you you mentioned Blade Runner. What are your guys' thoughts on that sequel that's coming out in 2018? And second, where can people find you on social media and more information about, of course, your series? Yeah, uh, I've heard nothing but good things about that script. So. Uh, I don't. I, I I respect the uh, the choice of getting the director that they're getting, which of course I can't remember his name, but the guy that did Enemy. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I know. Yeah. About. yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm always leery about you know sequels a long time after the original of a much beloved movie, but at the same time, I really, I really, really hope it's good. You know, I mean, I, I think I'll certainly see it. We, there's just no. Uh, cyberpunk is such a, a niche genre, even in the sci-fi world, and so you just don't get to see a lot of a lot of it done well. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so on that part, I'm I'm trying to be optimistic, but you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm scared they're going to make it a very clean, like Spielbergian Minority Report kind of world. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. really hoping that that's not it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but again, where can people find you guys on social media and more information on uh, Empty Zone? Uh, Empty Zone has a Facebook page, so that's just a quick search. I think it's just Empty-Zone uh, on Facebook. And my Instagram is linked to the Twitter, which is Jason Sean Alex. And 
I put tons of uh, preview images, panels in progress, and all the information coming out about new issues and new everything through Instagram and Twitter. And it's that uh, at Jason Sean Alex. And uh, I don't have much more social media, but just a, a Twitter account. It's at Dara Savage. Well, we got to get Dara some more followers yeah. then. So make sure you follow him at Dara Savage. That's D A R R A G H, by the way. Don't, you know, you guys know on this show how I screw up names royally when he answered the phone. Royally. Let's just <laughs> <go there. laughs> uh, it, it, It's okay. It's okay. I, you know, I, I've gotten every variant of, you know, Dara and Daryl and so on. So um, I'm always excited to get a new one. Oh, uh, we know how it's like. Jason, of course, does not because his name is Jason Sean Alexander. So he doesn't know the struggle. <laughs> that's right i just collect first names i'm good <laughs> <laughs> well guys we're, we're i mean we could we can't recommend this book enough empty zone issue number six is available march 16th at your local shops and digitally you can catch volume one right now so if you haven't started reading the series yet get caught up for march 16th and the release of that it's dara savage co-writer now and editor of empty zone and creator writer artist jason sean alexander guys thank you so much for coming on this week you guys are awesome. Thank you. Well, James, after the show, I actually have an appointment to get some uh, animal genes and some stuff like that put into my face. I should come out looking like a uh, like Fozzie Bear then. At least, at least when you say animal genes, you don't mean those leopard print pants that you thankfully don't wear anymore. Well, I mean, I don't wear them anymore around you, but I mean, you oh know, boy, yeah, still better than the zebra pants that Cody has. Yeah, yeah, and the Zubas pants. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, was... seriously, guys, yeah. I mean, I know we talk about a lot of books. We got through this trade, the first trade of Empty Zone, I got through in it. like an hour. An hour? Dude, I got... If that. It's 140 pages of trade, and I got through it no lie in a half hour, maybe 40 minutes tops. But yeah, I was like, we were talking to him off mic, I'm like, yeah, I picked up the book, and I'm like... Okay, I'm, I'm gonna space out my reading. I'm gonna do 30 pages like every hour. That's that's an issue. That's an issue an hour. Okay, I'm on page 20. Okay, immediately follow through. Okay, I'm on page 60. Five minutes later, shit, I'm done with this. This is bullshit. I want more of it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly. We just wanted more. And I was 90 pages in before I even realized where I was in the book because yeah. I didn't realize that I was reading it that fast. And then I looked at the time. I was like, you kidding me? I've read this much, and that just doesn't happen. With every book. I mean, and this book was just completely worth it. And seriously, guys, when I talk about how fast-paced this book is, the fact that it's going to get faster now yeah. when in issue six, how is that even possible? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And I love that they mentioned Blade Runner because when I text you the other day, where I'm like, when I finished reading, I'm like, dude, this is Blade Runner on acid. It is. It's fucking amazing. It really is. And I mean, it's it's got basically everything you want in a comic. And Jason Sean Alexander's art is, I mean, you don't see art like that. I no, mean, it's just it's, so it's unique. Phenomenal. Well, especially because the world takes place in a world where there's no really technology. You know, there's uh, solar radiation, and so electromagnetic radiation, and that cause like B, no lights, no cell phones, no satellites. So you're in a world of darkness, and when the, and the thing is, is that what's the problem you hear with a lot of movies, especially when you, when you deal with futuristic stuff like this? It's all gray. It's all looks the same. Not in this case. This case, especially with certain characters. For example, there's two characters we never mentioned, which were the, the Choi brothers. Yeah. And when they're in their workshop, it's like it's all colorful and green. It really exemplifies their 
personalities. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like each each panel, when you read the series, is not the same. It's it's yeah, it's some of it's colorless and dark, but it, it it's variation and the way that Jason does the art or makes it shine or doesn't feel as bland mm-hmm. or or really bleak for that matter. You know, it's a phenomenal job. You know, panel to panel, cover to cover, it's a great job overall. I just like that the choice shop is like Cyberpunk Build a Bear. Yeah. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm not going to lie, looking at her getting that new arm, I was like, where do I get one of those? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Right. (laughs) I mean, if that's going to be an option down the line, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that would be something that you could do. But, I mean, it's a great series. Again, March 16th is when you get your hands on that at your local shops or, of course, digitallyimagecomics.com or whatever your favorite digital retailer is. This is one you're going to want to add to your pull because this is one of those books that won't sit on a shelf forever. You're going to read it right away, and then you're going to be sitting there on pins and needles waiting for the next issue. Exactly. I want to thank both Jason and Dara for coming on and talking about Empty Zone. Remember, as James mentioned, issue six of Empty Zone comes out March 16th at your local shops and digitally, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Don Nerdy Podcast. But hey, if you want more of us, we're all over the internet, folks. Facebook.com slash Don Nerdy. We're on Twitter at Don Nerdy 757 and Instagram now at Don Nerdy 757. The evil has taken upon us. Yes, unfortunately, it had to be done. And of course, we're also on Twitter ourselves. I'm at James Ace with him, and Nick is at. At Merck with One Arm. And quickly, one thing about Instagram if you want all our guest announcements, for the week, a lot of certain videos we're going to be doing are going to be up on Instagram. We're going to be at Tidewater Comic Con with our booth again this year, right next to Bob Orr Fantasy Escapes booth. And guess what? A lot of our photos, if not all of them, will be going to our Instagram, at Downer757, which is also linked to our Twitter as well. So, again, we're also on the website, downerpodcast.com. We have written reviews there as well for your entertainment. And... Again, we're all over the web. We're, we're taking this thing by storm. Yeah, and it's just a great thing that you can do by going to downandnerdypodcast.com because you get all the information on this week's shows. You can find our past interviews and stuff like that. So make sure you go there as well. Just bookmark it. That way you don't even have to worry about it anymore. And then every week, the new shows will go up there first. So if you're up late, you can hear the new show before anybody else, before it even hits social media at, at 1 o'clock. Fuck bookmarking and making your goddamn homepage. That's right. You know, the fuck kind of fan are you if you just bookmark it? I'm just saying. Well, at least bookmarking it's better than, no, let's see what's <laughs> going on down That's true. That's true. I mean, that way you don't have to type it in. I mean, come on, bookmark it, make it your homepage, do whatever you have to do. Make it so when your phone turns on, that's the first thing you see. Exactly. And with that, I leave you with this, as I do every week, nerds. Prague safe comic book reading, always bag and board your comics. <laughs>